Hey, this is the biggest suitcase to ever play the game, Mike McKenna. You're listening to Snow the Goalie. Back into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's Podcast, and really, truly, the Players Podcast. Two episodes in one week, and this episode, Anthony, features an interview with one Mike McKenna, who introduced himself off the top as the biggest suitcase to ever play the game. <laughs> a real character. Uh, funny enough, I, I do feel a little bit bad putting this out there because clearly this means that he's either going to be waived or traded within mere moments oh, of the show Russ, going out. Russ, Russ, Russ. I can't believe how many people contacted us yesterday, and we're recording this um, on Wednesday um, prior to the uh, start of the Bruins-Flyers game at the Wells Fargo Center. Um, but So yesterday being Tuesday when we released the interview with Dale Weiss, um, we literally put it out and then... By noon, he was on waivers. Yep. <laughs> the team had waived him. Uh, now, no one claimed Dale Weiss, and he's still on the team. So, technically, the curse hasn't completely gotten him yet. Um, he got waived. I'm, it, I, I get I get that he cleared waivers. And but he's still he on the roster. But he technically, technically he got waived. Yes. So, to, uh, to recap for the fine folks at home who might be wondering what curse it is that we're talking about. <laughs> the Snow the Goalie curse. The Snow the Goalie curse. Now, the only person, now Anthony pointed this out on Twitter, uh, the only per- or no somebody else pointed out that the only person to have actually broken or to have avoided this was Travis Sanheim, but he was interviewed at the end of last season. Yes, yeah, so this is this season's uh, curse. And and in fairness, the Sanheim one that was that was an Anthony only thing, and I, I don't remember how you had that set up. I'm in the locker room. I don't know if this if that was yeah, a, a full I, aside like the rest of these have been. I no no I pulled him aside and did a one on one with okay. him in the in the locker room. So uh, to recap for people, we put out our interview with Ron Hextall on June twelfth. He was obviously fired since then. We put out the Alex Lyon interview on August 29th. He was sent back to the Phantoms. Uh, On September 26th, we put out our interview with Jordan Wheel, who has since been traded to Arizona. Back in the end of November, beginning of December, we had a tentative agreement with Dave Haxtall, the now former head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers. It wasn't even a tentative agreement. He had it was locked in. He was going to do it. And I think then, it was that week. Well, no, so he, wait, he was doing, he was planned to do it, but then Hextall got fired. That was it. And so then he said, can we just wait till the dust settles and then we'll do it? So we said, okay, fine. And then they went on that road trip in, De- in December. And he yep. said, and he said to Zach, tell Anthony, I'll do it when we come back from the road trip. Came back from the road trip and he was he fired. Was fired. <laughs> uh, on December 24th, we interviewed uh, Scott Hartnell. Who's who already was, retired. Who is uh, retired, which means he's not on an NHL roster, okay. so that's our fault. Yeah. Uh, and then on Sunday, we recorded our interview. We put it out Monday night into Tuesday morning. And, uh, yeah, less than 12 hours later, Dale Weiss was waived by the team. He is a healthy scratch, I believe, tonight. That is correct. And uh, Mike McKenna, you're next. I guess that's pretty much it. So get dear, that suitcase ready. boy, Mike McKenna. But Mike, Mike was really a lot of fun. Oh, and, my God, he was great. And I think, you know, th- this comes back to what we said on Tuesday's episode. If for some reason you missed the Dale Weiss interview, I think you really need to go back and listen to it and get an idea of what's been going on with this team. And, and I think he gave us a lot of really great answers that pulled mm-hmm. back the curtain. A little bit critical in some moments, and I think that's why people thought that maybe we were, we were responsible for Dale Weiss getting put on waivers. I don't think that's what it was. But Mike McKenna, the interview that you're going to hear, is very little about 
this team. He hasn't been here that long. Right. And even to some extent, not really all that much hockey. I think it was more of the human side that yeah. Dale Weiss kind of alluded to in the last episode, but the human side of hockey and a lot of things that kind of make a guy like Mike McKenna tick. Yeah, no, it was, it, he's... It, Russ, we could have talked... We talked to him for half an hour, as uh, the listeners will hear in, in a couple minutes. Um, and I just had the feeling that we could have gone on for another 45 minutes, another... Like, he could have talked all day and the fact that we 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 briefly touch on the fact that he's starting his own podcast um and you when you listen to him when you hear him talking about it you'll know why it will be a successful podcast because he's that engaging and he's that good of a talker and it was great i mean i had no interest in really talking about hockey with him because he was such an such an interesting guy yeah um just in general just talking life and, and 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 the like and you know, I'd love to talk to him again. I'd love to get some more of his take. You know, maybe make, you know, hopefully he sticks around long enough that we have an opportunity to, to, talk, talk, to, to talk to him again. Um, hopefully they don't, you know, the, the brass is not listening. And like McKenna went on with those guys, get him out of get here. Get out of here. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Yeah, but no, it's great. I, I, I urge people to, uh, to tune in, uh, to stick, stay with this and listen for the entire 30 minutes because he's, He's just he really a fu- great. He's a fun cat, man. He really, really is. Well, you know what, I think without further ado, let's get to that. Uh, on the flip side, on the, the back end yeah. of this interview, we'll talk a little bit about Monday's game against Minnesota, which yeah. was a, a really exciting game. So we'll do a little breakdown uh, after that. But yeah. without further ado, here's the interview that we did uh, on Sunday after practice with Flyers goaltender Mike McKenna. Welcome back into the Snow Loop Goalie podcast. And uh, we have somebody, Russ, now who does not like the name of our podcast, is already taking issue with us. And it's Flyers goalie Mike McKenna. Mike, thanks for joining us here on the Snow the Goalie podcast. It's my pleasure. And I don't mean to shoot you guys down right off the bat, but it's. <laughs> I've been snowed. I've been on the receiving end of that far too many times in my career. And I can tell you that those ice chips in your eyes aren't a lot of fun. Not a lot, not a lot of fun. It is a creative name, though. I like it. I'm well, just, thank you. I'm just giving you a hard time. Well, it's all good. So. It's all good. It's all good. Well, look, this this team's been through like a really world whirlwind of a season this this year, but I don't I don't think it compares to the whirlwind that you've personally experienced. Not just this year, being on three different teams, but uh, technically, but throughout your entire career, four. But who's counting? Oh, it was there four? So, yeah, it was four this year. Okay, I thought it was just, I might have missed one. Well, you're only looking at the NHL level. Uh, that's what that's yeah. what I was just looking yeah. at the NHL. But I mean, really, I mean, in your in your entire career, I think it's been 19 different organizations. Two, two of those organizations, the team, the minor league affiliate, moved to a different city. So I think you played in 21 different cities for teams. Uh, so could you just kind of give us, like, the, the background of how it is to be, you know, a guy who's been able to go through all that and, and experience all that over a course yeah. of 14 years? It's, um, yeah, 15 NHL organizations, and I, I've lost track of the number of teams. Like, you guys can rattle those off better than I can. Yeah. Um, I guess really what it boils down to here, though, is that, it's a product of having one-year contracts and going up and down between NHL and American League teams more often than not. And early in my career, I went between ECHL and AHL for the first two years. And so I banked a few teams there. Yeah. Um, but as I got older, I mean, I wasn't traded until my 12th year. I've only been traded twice. So a lot of those that movement and everything hasn't been for reasons of you know getting getting sacked by a team and moving around <laughs> very often. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just been that I've I've gone up and down and... It's just kind of been the, the the arc of my career path. It's not what I expected it to be. Um, but to be honest with you, I never expected to be playing college or pro or or even junior for that matter. When I was a kid growing up in St. Louis, it was, I'm playing hockey. I'm having fun. And that's what I tried to carry through everything. But, you know, it's been a challenge, especially as you get older with 
having kids now I've got two kids and a dog and you know you move every year and it's unlike like let's say a kid on an entry-level contract they right. they move into a city and they're either going to be in that city for three years or they're going to make the NHL team most likely so what do you do you show up you you rent a place you you buy furniture and you put it in storage and so I've never had those luxuries we've always had two cars and a six by twelve U-Haul behind us every year, and you know you get uh, you get really good at playing U-Haul Tetris. <laughs> I am the grand champion. That's right. Um, yeah, and my wife is vice champion. But uh, you know, it's just what we do, honestly, and and we've done. And it almost that embracing the weird kind of becomes normal after a while, if you will. Yeah, I I, I would think that it's kind of a fascinating story. I mean, you we you know in every sport you have that guy who plays for all these different teams and bounces around. But I think that your story is really a unique one because of how many different like affiliates even, I mean, that you were that you've been tied into. I think it's it's gotta be more than almost any almost anybody. I can't say specifically, but it's gotta be close. Um, do you do you ever think of when it's all said and done, how if you would wanna put this story down somewhere, maybe write about it or talk about it or do something with it? I've, I've always had people tell me, and this only started seven or eight years ago into this journey, that people are saying I should write a book. Yeah. And I do think that if I'd been smart about it when I was younger and if I would have just got a tape recorder and every night talked into it for 10 minutes, because uh, I always have this fear that if it's something I actually sat down to do that I'd, misspe- I'd you know, misquote or misspeak or, or screw up a story and not be able to get in touch with that person. And right. you know, Some of the best stories inherently are things that that person may not want out, you know, and so <laughs> sure, sure. I wouldn't want to sewer anybody. Um, I mean, yeah, I got stories for it. I, mean, yeah. I can tell you all kinds of things, but I mean, it's, I don't know. And I'm the type of person too, that when I write, I'd want to do it myself. You know, I wouldn't want to just have a ghost writer sure. paraphrase me. And so, um, I think it'd be more fun for me to talk to friends, podcast, yeah. uh, which, you know, I've kind of got intentions of doing later, but I think that's probably more of the end game than it is actually writing a book unless unless somebody gives me an offer I can't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about podcasting. I, mean, I know you've kind of um, dipped your toe into the water, as it were, for uh, for St. Lawrence uh, University, because that's where you went, and doing some interviews there. But I think you you know, you know were say, saying off-air that it's something that you kind of you know like and, and maybe want to grow for yourself moving forward. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, the St. Lawrence Hockey Podcast. Yeah. We're available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you can find quality podcasting. Um, <laughs> this is sounds like my plug. sounds like you, Russ. sounds just like you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's available, and it, I think I've done six or eight of them now. Uh-huh. And we, we, we do alumni, we do current players, and as you guys know, running a podcast, your your guests can really help drive things. And right. so, you know, some guys have been better than others. Some have really opened up. Some have been really funny. Uh, our best guest is a guy named Jerry Cunningham who lives in Philadelphia now. I caught up with him the other day, and, I mean, this kid was amazing. He was everything I wanted to be because it became conversational. You know, it wasn't right. just an interview. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I found that some of the, the alumni and folks who aren't really familiar with the podcast format have been harder because they think it's a purely an interview. Right. And, uh, and it's not. It's casual, right? right? And so a couple of years ago, I realized, though, that all these friends I've made and people have joked around about the six degrees of Mike McKenna being like Kevin Bacon in Hollywood. Right. And a guy in, in Dallas last year, Sean Shapiro, who writes for The Athletic, did the six degrees of Mike McKenna. And we came to the conclusion that you can basically relate me to anybody in hockey within two or three degrees dating back to 1970-something, which is insane. Yeah. And, it, and it's, I mean, what can I do but laugh at it and embrace it, I guess, at right. this point? Um, but think about that. Like, there's all these people that I could, that I could talk, talk to. to and, sure. and especially for me, I think that there's, 
a real void for talking to old goalies from the 70s, 80s, 90s, kind of this almost forgotten era where scoring was so high. And I'd love to talk to those guys and just get their stories and, and what they're up to now, what it was like back then. And, and minor league guys, equipment managers, trainers, bus drivers. We get a stand-up comedian in Portland, Maine. He's our bus driver. <laughs> you know, I, the, these ancillary people to right. the game. Yeah. I, I just think that'd be a lot of fun. And I think that there's there's a void for that. You know, people obviously love it. You look at what the Chicklets guys are doing. Right. And, and, and my brand is very different than theirs. Um, and I love what they do, but mine would be different. And it's, if five people listen, that's great. If five million it's great too but it'd almost be kind of cathartic for me when i'm done yeah you know no, that's great that's do you, great do you see yourself at like some point maybe like pursuing a tv career you know i'd love t- to taking on that that kind of role i'd love to uh, because truthfully i just find that like everybody assumes oh he's going to be a goalie coach oh well, i don't want to be a coach <laughs> I'm, i've ridden this train for 14 and who knows how much longer that you're, you're still on the train when you're doing that right, right? and so um Broadcasting is something that if you get into it, you know, you can have a great career doing it and you can live in one place. I mean, you may travel a lot, but that's, I love travel. That's fine with me, but, um, you know, it's just, it's hard to get your foot in the door there for sure. But I'm also conscious, though, that doing things like these podcasts and stuff, maybe that'll help me someday. I don't know. And if it doesn't, that's why I went to school and got a degree, you know? (laughs) I can always chuck everything out the window and go work in money like I thought I was going to do 10, 14 years ago, you know? So. That's that's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, uh, one one of the uh, one of the things that we always uh, want to ask guys, uh, just a fun question that we we ask everybody, um, and we just asked Dale Weiss this this question as well. And I have a feeling that you might even be able to give us a better one since you've been in so many different places. What has been take the Wells Fargo Center uh, Center out of out of the equation because that's Philadelphia. Um, but what's the best arena that you've had to that you've gotten a chance to play in and what made it that way and the reason I asked that second part of the question is um, we had a great comment from Jordan Wheel when we had him on the show earlier in the season where he said we picked an arena in New York during the Calder Cuff playoffs and he said that a guy it was so crazy there the guy had a prosthetic leg and he took the prosthetic leg off poured all of his beer into the prosthetic leg and drank the beer after every goal up there it's kind of like what made it a great environment right so i have a feeling that you might have one or two of these that that you could share with the uh with the listeners i saw a prosthetic leg go airborne in a mosh pit once i don't know what i don't know what it is about prosthetic legs using i mean they're but, supposed uh, to stay on that's, that's the right. whole yeah Why? that's what i couldn't Everything's figure out about it. i mean somebody needs that why exactly. is that airborne but, um i i'm i'm I forgive you and given probably a really common answer. Uh, Montreal is just an amazing place. Yeah, everybody says that. You know, yeah. um, the atmosphere of it, the knowledge of the fans. I mean, earlier this year when I was with Ottawa, we were in there and there was a missed call. And they relentlessly booed the officials for, I mean, the whole period, you know. And <laughs> there's just the mystique about being in that building. Yeah. Um, but then again, I mean, I've been in 97 pro buildings, so I can tell you about the old Toledo where you'd walk out through the crowd and they'd be taking swipes at you over the glass during the game or um, all these different places. And what Jordan said, though, about Calder Cup finals, I've played in the last two of those. And mm-hmm. I can tell you, though, that although I may not have done that at the NHL level, doing that at any level, playing for everything on the line and in packed houses every single night, it doesn't matter what building you're in, mm-hmm. that that is the coolest feeling on earth. And what we had in Texas last year, 
in Toronto on the finals, what we had the previous year when I was with Syracuse, we hit 114 decibels in Syracuse. That's louder than Motorhead, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's right. loud. Yeah. And you go to Grand Rapids, same way. And it just, that's what you drive feed off of. Right. And, and it's more so the crowd than even the building. And Syracuse still plays in that old arena, right? That old War Memorial. War Memorial Stadium. Immortalized yeah. in Slapshot. Yes. Uh, it's where the Hanson brothers were arrested. And they were looking for them, the, you know, the yeah. cops when they came to the door. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they were told to call the pizza guy in the massage parlor. What, what, yeah. I remember about, yeah. <laughs> what I remember about that, I covered the AHL for one year during the 0405 lockout. Um, that was a high water mark, too. Yeah. That was a wild it was a great, it was a great yeah. year. Um, and I, I was with the Phantoms, were in Philadelphia at that time. And I traveled with them. I, was, I, I don't know how many beat writers have traveled all over the place with an AHL team, but I got to go there. And I remember about Syracuse is their press box was not really a press box. You had to climb a wrought iron ladder up onto a platform that kind of looked down over the ice. And that's where you worked from. And it was, it was just, and that whole arena just blew my mind. And you got to watch like, your head up there. Yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. You need, actually need to wear a helmet. There's low hanging <laughs> beams that have yellow caution tape on them yes. for a reason. Yeah. I've been up there before. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. I had uh, in Syracuse the last game of the year leading into playoffs, we already knew we were in, so they, they dressed a kid that had been our third goalie and gave me a night off. And so I went upstairs and I did. <laughs> I did color for a couple periods, and I couldn't believe it. You yeah. know, you're right. It's like the tight confines, and the scouting table's right next to the broadcast table, and and there's you're hovering over the over ice. the ice. You're not yeah. set back like normal. You are over the ice. Yes, yeah, okay. you have to almost stand to watch. Like you can't really sit. Yeah, if you want to see it when to it's see, you know it's along the near side board. Yeah. yeah, you better be up on the edge of your seat looking over the balcony. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I've never asked anybody this, but you just mentioned the, the movie Slapshot. I'm wondering how many hockey movies you've seen, and if you if you have a power ranking, is Slapshot the nothing comes the close? Okay, yeah, wow. Slapshot is the absolute pinnacle. You know why? You I have know, to, he's, I have he's young. And I can okay. recite every line. For yeah, he's young. That's he doesn't fine. get it. No, okay. he doesn't. Well, he, he likes goons. Let's go. Let's go. He ages. likes goons. Let's go. Ages. That's trash. Say what is goon? Say out of your mind. Say Russ. No, you're nuts. You're nuts. You're a kid. You don't understand. This is. It's not real hockey. I might have no. to end it right now. No. I might have to walk <laughs> That's out. like saying that Driven is the greatest racing movie of all time, and I'll contend that's the worst movie ever made in the history of mankind. There you go. I, you know, it's, it's, for, a, it's for a farce. A quote, for yeah, a, quotable, a quotable movie. Goon is a great hockey movie. I, I can quote everything from Slapshot. Slapshot's so much better. Every single so movie. Every better. line of that movie yeah, I so can much go better. through. But yeah, I mean, there, but just, there's I'm other good hockey right. movies yeah. too. Like let's 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 get off the argument bandwagon yeah. here. But if I think of things that were really well done, I mean, for my age group, the Mighty Ducks opened everything oh, up yeah. for yeah. all of us. Yeah. You know, and again, there's another story. But it's a kids movie, so sure. you can accept it. Yeah. And by the second or third, I didn't. They they wore off and it got way out there. Yeah, but that yeah. first one really for me. I'm 35. I think it was nine or ten when I came out. Right. That was a big reason why kids in non-traditional hockey markets started playing hockey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got rollerblades. Suddenly those came out. Inline skates. Mighty Ducks came out. Kids from St. Louis, my hometown, from Dallas, from L.A. That's a big reason for it. Yeah. You know, I mean, and then other movies along the way. Miracle is really well right. done. I like Mystery Alaska. Mystery Alaska. I, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of good characters in that. Yeah. And, so yeah, there's been some good ones. I mean, Young Blood was a Young Young Blood. Young Blood's a classic. Rob too. Lowe. Yeah. Yeah. Former Keanu, Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze. Yeah. They were all in there. Yeah. yeah. Actually, so was a former Flyer, the late Peter Zezel. Peter Zezel was in it. Was in it. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, there's yeah. been some guys, Nestorenko, I think, yeah. Blackhawks players. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, when you pay attention to those movies, you'll find some names like Bruce Boudreaux was in Slapshot. Yes, he was. You know, yes, he was. other people. So. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, I want to get into the to, uh, to auto racing because I know your dad was a, mm-hmm. an Indy car driver. Um, oh, let's, let's, let's roll this back. He okay. drove open wheel cars, but he never drove professionally in Indy cars. Okay. So we'll, All right. But it's the same style. I don't want to over, you know what? Same I don't style. Fair yeah, enough. Fair enough. Style, but it's yeah, the same yeah, yeah. same style. I mean, correct? he was, he went, yeah. he was as high as you could go in amateur. He won the president's trophy in SEC racing, which was won by Jimmy Vassar, Roger Penske, Bob Ray Hall. Uh-huh. Big names in racing. He, yeah. He took that. So, yes. But oh. yeah, open wheel racing. Yeah. And I read that you did a little bit of this yourself. I dabbled for a couple summers and was not very good. Um, <laughs> I did, I did karting for a couple summers and. I'll be honest with you, I started it later than I did other sports, right? I was typical of my age group. I was a multi-sport athlete. I right. played hockey, baseball, tennis, enjoyed all those. Um, but I was used to being good at those sports. And <laughs> I started karting, and I was a fish out of water. And I never really got better that quickly. And then you come to the realization that it's awful hard to have two really expensive hobbies, one being goaltending, another being karting. And yeah. Karting went by the wayside pretty quick. So um, I'm pretty adept at indoor karting nowadays. But then again, I'm playing in Ottawa with Craig Anderson, who races in the summer for real. And he's five tenths up on me, you know. So yeah. I've got a lot to learn in that. In that, But that's that's for when I'm when I'm done someday. But it's, it was, you enjoyed it, though, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about racing. I really am. Um, IndyCar is really where my passion's at. Um, I, I really enjoy Formula One. I you know, some NASCAR I'll watch, but um, sprint cars, midgets on dirt, I absolutely love. So World of Outlaws and USAC midgets and stuff I'll watch whenever I can or if they're close to my home in St. Louis. So can you tell people what the – because, you know, we don't really have it here in this area. I mean, we have Pocono and we have Dover, which aren't too far away, um, but they're they're, they're the NASCAR. And it's not as huge in this area, but what's the difference between actually being there and watching it in person as opposed to – what you're seeing on the tube. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I think you might be surprised. Like, Pennsylvania is a big home of sprint car racing. Okay. Dirt. Like, it's really? places like Williams Grove and other are okay. big-time homes to this I know. Stuff. I don't know these things. Yeah. I actually know. Well, I used to live in northern PA. Well, so. the, yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah. Th- there's quite a bit of it around here. But I, racing's a sport that if you grow up in it, you understand it immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all the new, little nuances and inc- intricacies of it. Uh, and I do think, though, that when you see it in person, it's a very different presentation than when it's on television because the perception is you're watching one car go around and around in circles and blah, blah, blah. Well, I grew up in road racing, which is totally different. And road racing, when you go to the track, you can walk around it like it's a state park. You can watch all the cars go through different turns, hear the different engine notes, see the different lines. And if you know where the passing zones are, when you're watching the race, you see a lot of action. And right. you may not see that on television. And you know, ovals ovals are good, too, if there's enough to see. But, again, you can see moving through the field, somebody who's going forward is in the back and, and vice versa, someone who's going backwards, how pit stops are playing out. And there's just a lot more going on than you would think watching TV. And it's I think that's part of the reason why they've seen a decline a little bit is that it doesn't translate that well, really. Right, right. Do you uh, – so I guess, like, on, on the racing side of things – you know, people see crashes and, and they get extremely nervous. And there was the the one uh, I guess two months ago it was uh, Sophia Flourish in, in mm-hmm. F three, where she essentially caught an edge and and ricocheted, right. you know, launched herself yeah. up at, up and over the barrier, which is extremely scary. But um, you know, 
with with a, a dad who was a racer and then you yourself having dabbled in racing, were, were those things ever something that kind of crossed your mind as, as a real fear or or is that just kind of accepted as like, you know, there's a possibility that something can go wrong? One of the first things my dad told me when I got in a cart, and mind you, I'm eight or nine years old, he said, this thing can bite you. And you don't forget that line. You know, yeah. that's the first thing he said. I mean, this will hurt you if you screw up. You need to respect this. And my dad's a really laid-back person, and he's, he's very hands-off with stuff. But this was one warning he gave me in life, that this is real, you know, and just respect it. But that's what those people face. They accept that risk. And I'll tell you right now that I can, t- I can name four or five personal friends of our family that were killed racing. Wow. And that's normal from people in the 70s, 80s, 60s. Like, that's if – you, if you're around long enough or you race high level enough, it happens. And – and that's not just even including injuries. So it's um, it's a it's a sport that you got to respect things, and then even when you do, things can go wrong, and it's it's very real. Um, and that's why I really take exception to the people cheering, going bonkers at a NASCAR race when five guys wreck, and you know some guy no shirt on and raising his Budweiser to the air thinks it's the greatest thing on earth. And like, no, there's human beings in those cars here, guys. And I think that. You've forgotten how safe things have become, that things can still go very wrong very quickly. Um, so, you know, I'm happy that when my kids watch racing with me, they understand that they're not happy when people crash. It's, it's scary. Yeah. I don't want to see it. That's cool. Let me take you to a happy, a happier place. So I, I read Sorry that. to go so dark no, with you. No, no, I think it's good. <laughs> that's no, good. I mean, that's great. That, I mean, but that's, a very, that's the way, that's real about racing. Yeah. I think people gloss over it a lot of times because it has become so safe. That there's still a very, it's very dangerous yeah. stuff. Yeah. On a happy note, uh, I, I read that you're one who likes to cook, and I, specifically, I saw that that you treasure your Dutch oven, I and do. that you like to braise. Yes. And now I feel like we can speak the same language on this. I don't know if Anthony is much of a cook, so <laughs> I'm Italian. Of so course, we'll, I cook. Well, <laughs> I do cutlets. So, I do red sauce. I do. <laughs> okay. So some of your favorite things to cook while you're on the road. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that that in all of your travels, you're not just taking your Dutch oven. First of all, what brand is your Dutch oven? Is this is Lodge. it? Okay, Lodge. Okay. Yeah. White enamel on the inside, black enamel. White enamel, but okay. it's, it's turned a nice patina. It's, okay. it's kind of a brown. So that's at good. This that's point. the better. White enamel is the better way to go. A lot of people go black. It's, it's I'm letting it's, you take it's, this, Ross. Go ahead. Go nuts. Favorite things to cook. So, so when you're braising, like what's your what's your protein of choice that you like to go with in the Dutch oven? Oh man, I, I do so many things in it, but really, if it's an all day deal, I love doing lamb shanks, short ribs, stuff that. You've got to go low and slow with it. I like doing stews in it, though, too. Just basic stuff like that, chili, you name it. Um, but, yeah, if I'm trying to impress somebody, I'll do lamb shanks or short ribs or something and sear everything up and chuck it in the oven for, three, you know, two, three, four hours till everything gets really tender. And Yeah, I, I love to cook, but I've, I've basically been – I left home on October 29th and never came back, so I haven't been able to cook. So I've been stuck in hotels with, I think my knives are still in my trunk in Ottawa, so hopefully nobody listening breaks into my car. (laughs) (laughs) I love to do it, but yeah, I haven't been able to to do much this year. But like when I leave on a road trip, I'd usually try to make one or two meals before I leave for my family. Like I'd prepare a crock pot to be ready, and then I'd cook something else that would last a little while. So in all of your travels, I, I, I don't know, since you cook, I mean, some would, would translate that into you being a, a bit of a foodie. And so in, in all of your travels, has there been a dish that, that you weren't exposed to in St. Louis growing up that has blown your mind? Like one place that if you go on the road, like you need to stop and have, insert this name of this dish here. I'm, 
Yeah, the foodie thing I kind of take, I, I don't like that word because it has this certain elitist connotation it to it, you know, or, yep. oh, look at this snob here, you know, and, <laughs> and I'll tell you why, too, I don't think I fit that bill. I don't really care for, I'm not a big cheese guy and I'm not a big charcuterie guy. Like, okay. I just, that's not my thing at all. And so I, I clearly don't fit the bill there. Um, prosciutto doesn't get you up in the morning, like, or mortadella, like, it's all right. It's, okay. it's all good. Right. I like prosciutto, but like, a lot, it's not really my thing though right. you know like uh, people go nuts when they wheel out a meat and cheese platter it's like <laughs> I mean all you did was slice it and cut it you know I mean, to me that's sure. not yeah. I, it just doesn't get me going but um, that's a really hard question uh, and I, I really appreciate it and I think because I spent three years in Portland Maine uh, I'd never had a lobster roll until I lived there yeah. and man I tell you what I had my buddy I got to know a guy named Jim he was my seafood purveyor and down the street from me and whenever we wanted to do a lobster bake for the whole team I'd give him a buzz and he'd wheel out and that lobster rolls were just the greatest the simplest greatest thing that if I'm somewhere near Maine it's got to happen because it's it's just so simple and it's so good and that was a really uh that was a cool three years living there any weird uh so lobster rolls are are pretty simple ingredient wise but was it there any ever uh ever encounter one that was like way off the beaten path like somebody went totally anti with the traditional lobster roll yeah there's a place in there called eventide oyster company that's really become famous they've opened one in boston too and uh, a couple james beard award later that they're pretty unique like they're doing one kind of in like a steam bun with brown butter and miso and so they they took a basic lobster roll and really ran with it and i know it freaked a lot of people out in maine but you know like the Let's be honest here, like the younger set of people and patrons were kind of embracing all these things. Mm-hmm. You're embracing the mismatch of cultures that have moved for- food forward so much in the last 10 years. If you're yeah. really into this stuff, right? Like all my teammates still go to steakhouses and Italian restaurants every night, it feels like to me, which drives me bonkers. But the rest of the people that have really gotten into food, it's it's just all oh, it become so cross-cultural now that you're using ingredients from all over the world to make this stuff and what's become kind of known as modern American dining because you can't define it. So do you find yourself to be, it, it sounds like you're not as much of a traditionalist, so like what the authentic kind of thing is, that you're you're willing and maybe maybe a little bit more inclined to trying things that are a little bit outside the box? Is that yeah, a fair for assessment? sure. But that, I, and I don't think that there's any reason to discount tradition, though, because if you go to a place that does something well that's been well for a long time, it's like that for a reason. Um, and And... By all means, I'm into that too. But yeah, a lot of times if I'm eating somewhere, I'm, I'm trying to scope out something that's just either they're doing they're doing something really well or doing something kind of innovative and different. And you know, just I'm looking for unique experiences. Really, is what it comes down to. Cool. We have about two minutes left before we have to wrap this up, so I don't. Want, I just want to get to two quick fan uh, questions that we had for you um, from Twitter. Uh, one of them was since you've played on so many different teams by his count it was 21 which is the same count I had um I was he was wondering this fan Adam Devoren uh do you keep a jersey or a piece of gear from each stop I have all my masks yeah thankfully uh I think only one or two have been painted over and I have most of my jerseys but not every team gives you the jersey though okay so yeah. I've had to buy a bunch of those back and oh yeah that's yeah, crazy not every team that. gives you a jersey even if you've been there the whole season. Really? So, yeah. I know this team will give you a jersey. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, <laughs> last no couple of years I've, been, I've played for some good organizations that, yeah. have, that have. But, yeah, along the way I've, I've had to buy a lot of jerseys. That's wow. wild. That's crazy. I never would have expected neither, that. Neither would I. Neither would I. Um, and I guess the other thing is, is that um, the final question is, is that um, I know your family's up in Ontario right now. 
Um, obviously, you're from St. Louis. You've been all over the place. Once this train ride, as you call it, ends, where do you think you want to finally settle? I'd like to go back home to St. Louis. St. Louis? house there. It's, yeah. it's four seasons. It's a great place for a family. It's affordable. It's, it ticks all those boxes for us. Um, but you never know. I mean, I don't know what's going to – I don't know where Miss journey is going to lead me to when I'm done right and so um, if I can live there that's fantastic Um, but I got to look at everything else you never know what's going to become available so I think that'll be home base though pretty cool I I guess my last question is since you've played all over the country you've played in Canada in the U.S. East West Midwest is there a way to to really quantify the difference in the way that fans approach the game on the West Coast versus the Midwest and the East Coast U.S. Canada is, are there really many common strands that connect all of hockey fans, or or do you feel like experiencing it in these different cities and the way that fans interact with the game is it just vastly different? Is it just totally different, like worlds apart? I think so. Uh, I mean, I've been in some markets that are, I mean, incredibly negative, <laughs> and I and, I, and the fan like, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful to it. Like yeah. some fan bases are just really negative and I've been in some that are so positive and supportive and welcoming and um, Canada versus the U.S. is very different because Canadians inherently think they know more about the game than Americans do and some of them do uh, but there's a lot of them that don't know any more than your average American but they still think they do so um, it can be different but I I think that nine out of ten fans in this world love the sport They, they appreciate the players and um, they give us really good interactions that it, it, it makes it a lot of fun to do. And so, um, you know, the, the other one out of ten, you just you drown them out and, you know, you hit the block button or you don't listen to them because, you know, what do they know? What does it matter? Right. You know? I mean, I'm playing in the NHL. This is the greatest thing in the world, right? And even just playing pro hockey in general, we're so fortunate. And so um, you can only do your best. And... Um, I th- it's very it's varying for sure, but I think that almost everybody out there really does have have the the good of the game at the heart. Awesome. Well, Mike McKenna, thanks again for coming on the Snow the Goalie podcast. We really do appreciate it, and best of luck with you uh, rest of the season, and also with your podcasting future. Yeah, as well. I, I appreciate it. It's going to be someday. It'll be called Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, and eventually goes wa- live. But, uh, <laughs> whenever you guys are ready to change your name, I'll help you come up with some. <laughs> Good stuff, good stuff. Thanks, Thanks, Mike. We appreciate it. (laughs) And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the interview with Flyers goaltender Mike McKenna a man of the world, a real renaissance man. I, well, you you automatically like have kismet with him because he likes to cook in a Dutch oven. You like to cook in a Dutch oven. Yeah, that whole true. segment, like I could have, I could have wandered off to the restroom and you know disappeared for a while. I could have you know made a phone call, you know checked in with uh, with the kids. I could have done eight million things, and you would have still been talking food. You with know, him. as an Italian yourself, you should be one with the Dutch oven, with with oxtails and and braising and. The fact that you didn't have much to contribute to that part was disappointing. Now, look, when when we talked to uh, to Dale Weiss about uh, true crime shows, yeah. I didn't have much to contribute, right? Like, I think my extent is True Detective, which is not based in reality, uh, and uh, the Serial podcast. Yeah. I mean, I could have talked about that, but I kind of stayed out of the way. But but what kind of an Italian American doesn't talk about cooking? I mean, I. So here's the difference. Slightly offended. No, 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 stop, honestly. stop, stop. So I don't know if the, I need to call the, the, uh, the FBI, the full-blooded Italians he, here, but I feel like... Yeah, but uh, here's the difference. Go ahead. I'm an Italian who likes to eat. Okay. You've seen me, right? I'm, I'm an Italian who likes to eat. 
and I don't mind cooking, but I don't have the passion Ugh. for cooking. Like, I, I have a passion for sitting down and having a great meal and enjoying the conversation and really talking about how good the food is, making people try or try this, you try that, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I don't have the passion to slave over making that meal. That's what I, you know, and I know that that's, there are people in, you know, uh, in my heritage who do, or people in my family who do, they love slaving over it. But I just never, you know, I was spoiled growing up. I, my grandfather was a cook. Okay. And my grandfather made, we lived right next door to my grandfather growing up. I literally, we were two row homes in West Philadelphia. And Born my, and raised. And yes. On the playground is where you spent most of your days. Absolutely. And I, I know Will. We used to play at the same playground. He's about six years older than me, Stop. but we were at the same playground all the time. He used to come and buy sneakers and from Smith. me. Him and Jeff used to come he buy sneakers from you. Yes, I worked in a what? sneaker store called Nick's Sneakers at 65th and Lansdowne uh, in West Philadelphia. And Will and Jeff used to come in and buy Lacoste Sportif sneakers from us. I have an autographed poster from Will Smith. From Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff. Yeah. I just. I, I don't know how to Why? Feel. They're from the same, they're from no, the same I'm neighborhood. Just, I'm just saying, like, I think that's awesome, but... <laughs> they're just, they're from the same neighborhood. I swear, you should have run for mayor of Philadelphia. I don't know, like, <laughs> you know... Every, well, you know, every, you know, other St. Joe's prep grads have run and won mayorships in Philadelphia. There was, you know, Michael Nutter and Jim Kenny, both prep grads. How good of a mayor were either of them? I don't know. It doesn't really just matter, Just pointing right? it out. I mean, you know, so... But anyway, um... No, but, uh, How do you feel about the soda tax? Oh, Let I the hate, people know. I hate it. My, my, my son moved out of Philadelphia because he refused to pay the soda Get tax. Get out. I, you think I'm kidding. My son's like a lunatic with drinking soda. He's crazy. Um, and he literally moved from the, from the city, was living in like the Fishtown area. Um, Hipster. And, and uh, moved out of there. To go back to the suburbs, That's so, that, insane. so that he didn't have to pay soda tax anymore. Why didn't he just get you to buy the soda in the burbs and then import it to him? What is that? You think I'm driving to Fishtown all the time? Why from not? Springfield? No, you're out of your mind. Out of your mind. Go check out the craft beer scene. Yeah. yeah. Right. But, anyway. my, but my point, anyway. my point was, is that so I grew up next door to my grandfather, um, and my, my grandparents both lived right there, and my grandfather was the cook, and so he made six out of seven meals, dinners for us every That's week. That's awesome. So like I would just walk out the back door, like so. Because we lived right next door to each other, they took down the fence between the two yards, okay. and they took down the the fence between the two front porches. So we had one giant front porch, that's cool, and one giant backyard, which was huge for a row home, yeah. right? Growing up, and so every day I would just go, uh, you know, you'd wake up on Sunday morning, and my back bedroom was, my bedroom was in the back of the house, and would face uh, closest to the kitchen, and I would wake up every Sunday morning to my grandfather listening to Sundays with Sinatra, singing Sinatra, and the smell of the Sunday gravy was just awesome. It was like the coolest thing ever. So anyway, because of that, because I was spoiled growing up. I never had to really learn how to make anything. I mean, I've learned how to make things in my adult years, but never did I have to really learn how to do it as a kid because I always had my grandfather to make the uh, to make those Italian meals for. So the Dutch There was thing, never like the moment in your life where you wanted your grandfather to teach you? No? No. <laughs> because well, he was okay. so good at it, I, I didn't want to learn. And I figured, I figured other people in my family would learn, and they did, like my sister. My sister learned. And then, of course, my sister uh, married uh, uh, a guy who owns, who owns a restaurant, an Italian restaurant. He's from, he's from Italy. Um, and so now they own a restaurant as well. So, uh, so yeah, so that's kind of, a, kind of a cool thing. Let's talk about the team. Or do you want to talk anything else about uh, the no, interview with Mike? I, I, the racing stuff was interesting. It was awesome. I, I actually, so I've, I've now had two cringeworthy moments this week with uh, interviews. Weiss with Dutch Gretzky. Yeah. And then talking to Mike about 
the dangers of racing. Yeah. I didn't expect the, uh, the that answer had, about that he knew five people who were, who were killed, killed in, in crashes. Yeah. It, yeah. It's horrifying. Yeah, but, but it is a reality. I, the one thing I would, I in theory would have followed up, but I, I figured it might have touched the nerve a little bit too much. Was when people say that it's not a sport. I think we know what the answer to that mm-hmm. would have been. Uh, right. So it, it was interesting. I mean, this is like maybe the one thing that doesn't come across in this format versus with video is is the uh, the change in body language and everything. Oh but, yeah. But for a guy who was very laid back, when racing came up and the dangers of racing came up, you just kind of saw it was a different his, thing. His yep. whole his whole demeanor, demeanor changed. changed. Yes, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. Uh, Mike's a great guy. Hopefully he gets another opportunity to play. I know Carter Hart making his fourth consecutive starting goal uh, against the Boston Bruins in, uh, in this game on Wednesday. Obviously the game will be over by the time you hear this podcast. But um, uh, he didn't have his A game on, on uh, Monday night against Minnesota, but uh, he didn't necessarily need it because the Flyers skaters played one of their best games of the season overall. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, Hart was fine. I mean, he wasn't. It's not like he was bad. It's not like he sat there and said, oh, that was a terrible goal. Or, oh, he should have had that. I thought there was maybe one goal. I think it was the third one um, that he probably should have had. But there were other breakdowns as well on that play. So you couldn't put the whole goal on, on Carter. But I thought he played played fine. Um, I guess the, the real highlight was, you know, the breakout of, you know, uh, Nolan Patrick, who had, had been pretty much MIA for the entire season. Um, had a hell of a game, scored a pair of goals, had a pair of assists, his first career four-point game. Um, and then JVR had a hat trick. Uh, that, and Wayne Simmons had two goals. So that third line did everything. Yeah. I mean, they were... A third line that, quite frankly, to this point yeah. in the season, really, every time they've well, been JV, together... JVR yeah. was on the top line. But... Uh, and, um, because Scott Lawton yeah, was, but Lawton right. also had a uh, few beautiful plays setting up those those goals. So I mean, yeah, JVR had his hat trick. They weren't as exciting. I mean, there were two tip ins, one, uh, one tip in, one off a skate, and an empty netter. So does I mean, it matter how beautiful no, no, they were? No, no, you know no, what I mean. It doesn't like, matter. At this point, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, at matter, at doesn't all. matter. But I, but the line I was talking about was was Lawton and Simmons and, and and Patrick. They were the ones that really played a great game against Minnesota. Simmons, I think, having a little bit of a breakout is probably good for his trade value, which we've talked about a bunch of times on the Press Row yep. show. You know, he's been getting first power play unit time a lot this season and really hasn't converted on a lot of those opportunities. And, and the argument that I've been making consistently is at some point you have to kind of decide, is this something where you're going to continue to trot him out with the hopes that he's going to start burying a few goals and maybe get five and eight games or something like that? Yeah in the hopes that that raises his, his value, or do you put the team's best interest in ahead of it? And and at that to that end, you would expect somebody like JVR to maybe take his spot on that power play. But then you, you watch what happened against Minnesota, and we did get to see the uh, five-forward power play unit go out. And to mixed results, uh, wow. definitely gave up a, a couple uh, – it, it got uh, helter skelter plays, got a little, little got a little defensive hairy. breakdowns, it, as you would expect. Um, but it got a it was little hairy. But no, but when they were set up, it was it actually looked okay. Um, when they were set up in the zone, they, they played well. Voracek, who I was criticizing, saying he was not a kind of guy who's going to get shots on goal from the point, got a shot on goal from the point that JVR tipped, and that was the first goal of the game for the Flyers. So I mean, that was kind of an interesting, an interesting thing. Hey, background music here at Wells Fargo Center. Um, because the, uh, they are opening the arena at 6 p.m. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that's, that, you know, it, 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 that's, a, that's a good thing. You want, you want to see JVR break out a little bit. You want to see him get more involved because he's going to be here for a co- at least a couple years. I mean, you would uh, think. You would think, right? Unless. Unless he gets traded, but I don't, I don't know. The cap number's big, Seven, that, $7 million per year. Uh, five past, years. After this year, he's got 28 million rem- four remaining years for four left. years. Yeah. So, 
it's not an attractive deal, uh, likely if you're another team. But if a team that were in contention to be a top two, three seed in the conference, if you lose somebody who's critical to your power play, maybe you think about trying to make a move for a well, guy the, like well, the inter- well, the interesting thing is, is the first two moves that Chuck Fletcher made as a GM was to trade Jordan Wheel and to waive Dale Weiss. Basically, he was undoing Hextall. Right, I mean, when you think about it, he got he got, you know got rid of one guy who Hextall brought here, and then waived another guy that Hextall brought here. Now you can sit there and say, well, Hextall brought several of these players in, and that's true. But the the, the point is, is that the team's not going to really break up young players. I mean, they might move one that's on this roster, two that are on this roster, but really aren't going to just get rid of all the young guys because they're going to want to let them develop and be a part of the next generation of flyer uh, flyer hockey. But it was curious to see that the first two moves were to undo um, trades or signings that um, that Hextall did. So that makes me think that you might look at a guy like JVR and say, you know, does he fit long term with what Chuck Fletcher wants to do? And if he does, then he'll stay. And if he doesn't, but if he doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me if Fletcher did, you know, try and call around and see if there would be interest in him and that contract. Maybe it's more likely at the, uh, maybe not at the trade deadline, maybe at the draft. Could be. Especially knowing yeah. that the Flyers are likely going to have a, a top pick. Maybe yeah. Yeah. you explored it at that time. It will be interesting to see if, if they do anything with him. Um, it was nice. I, I think it was, you know, yet again a small crowd, and especially with the season pretty much down to a, a lose for Hughes kind of situation. And uh, none of the young guys getting called up yet. We still are, we still haven't seen Low like for that. Kako. Yeah, okay, well, you go go with that if you want. You, you called it Kaka for Kako. Well, I, I said play like Kaka for Kako, but I, but it, someone pointed out that that's too many words for a hashtag. Isn't his first name Capo? It's right? Capo Kako, yeah. So, like, blow for Capo. Blow for Capo or blow for Kako, yeah. Well, either one. That's the point. The point is, is that the, yeah, the, I don't know. the guy, I don't know. Rich, who contacted me on Twitter, I forget what his Twitter handle is, but I know his first name's Rich. Anyway. Rich Lee. Uh, we he, have our uh, hashtags. Yeah, he, he came, he said you should go blow blow for Kako, so. I don't know. Okay. Um, I, I, I think it was nice for the, the home fans to finally see a win on home ice. Uh, and and to, to do it in a way that shows you some of the promise that you had expected coming into the season. And if, you know, I, I asked Nolan Patrick after the game if, if this is something where he kind of looks back at the, the trend of last year where he had such a strong second half of the season, and if that's something that he thinks he can carry forward and, and going into a bye week, knowing that he had a breakout performance in that game, can he then refocus over the bye week and, and propel himself forward for the second half of the year? And he, he pretty much gave the answer that I expected, which was, He's been confident in his play the entire time, and and you know he's been trying to maintain a, a good headspace, and that was something that you know Dale Weiss had even spoken to us about. You know the the importance of a young player like Nolan Patrick kind of keeping an even keel, and Dale had even said that Nolan was a guy who, regardless of if he was on a hot streak or not, tends to exude confidence. Although Dale had said that there there have been times this season where that's been lacking a little bit yeah. in Nolan's case, but seeing him come out like he did, it was encouraging. Well, I found it interesting, you know, Elliot Friedman um, from uh, Sportsnet in Canada, he uh, put out his uh, weekly 31 Things column today, and in that, he had mentioned that there were some general managers around the league who were wondering if uh, the Flyers maybe had soured on Nolan Patrick, um, but also pointed out that Chuck Fletcher said, you know, some good things about him prior to him scoring two goals on Monday. 
um, to indicate that he's not going anywhere. You know, that he's only 20 years old. And, you know, really recognizing that, you know, right-hand centers are hard to come by in the NHL who could be productive, like Patrick uh, grades out to be down the road. And like Dale Weeks said, you know, five years from now, he's going to be looking back and on this these struggles and laughing at them because that's the kind of talent that Nolan has. So, um, yeah, I don't think Patrick's part of the, uh, you know, rebuild, if you want to call it a rebuild, reorganization of this franchise um, at this point. I think that he's he's here for the for the long haul. Uh, and it was nice to see him have a good game. So it, it, against Boston, it'll be nice, it'll be interesting to see, can he, he follow up. it up? Yeah. Can he follow it up with another good game? Doesn't have to score four points. Doesn't have to score, he doesn't have to score any points, to be honest with you. I mean, if he does, great. It would be nice to see consecutive games with, with points of some some kind. But does, if, he, does he drive play if he doesn't but put if it he's, in? But is he driving the play? Is he playing good is did he have a good game even if he doesn't get a point did you sit there and say you know what he was a noticeable player he played the game well that's what's that's what's most important that was one of the things i talked to jvr about after the game because obviously he scored the hat trick and i think that's five goals in three games it's three straight multi-point games for him and i, I said to him i said you know I, you know he had that con- um, sit down conversation with uh interim coach scott gordon uh, where they really were trying to define his role and, and better fit into the system that they're trying to play here than was different than Toronto, which is, JVR said, has is, is been the hardest thing for him to adapt to since coming back. And uh, one of the things I said to him, I said, you know, obviously everybody wants to talk to you because you had a hat trick. I said, and you know, you, you, you said that you're you're feeling better about the way you're playing and understanding your the role that they want you to play now that you're here. And I asked him, I said, well, do you feel like even when you're not, when they, when you aren't scoring a goal in these last few games, but on the shifts when you're out there just having a normal shift, a regular shift, do you feel better about those kinds of shifts as well, not just the ones where you're scoring? And he said, "Yeah, absolutely. It's it's all about that as well." And so, um, I think that that's kind of a uh, real indicator that you know maybe he's finding his feet at this point, and, and you know. You'd like to see that continue as well. Um, again, he's not going to score five goals every three games, but if he continues to give you consistent play, especially on that top line with Claude Giroux and Travis Konechny, that's good. And Konechny is the only guy that really now I think has to. We have to see him have a game. Like he hasn't had a real strong game in a while. I, that's that's the guy I really need to see have a great game. The argument that I'll make in in Konechny's defense maybe is for such a small guy and I mean he stature wise is very similar to me and I'm not a big guy yeah now he's like if you took me and actually gave me muscle and athletic ability but uh Konechny I think has has played hard and, oh, and, yeah. and he always and, plays and, hard and so that maybe is like one encouraging thing like I think in the case of Nolan Patrick there have been stretches in the season where he's gone invisible and and you've kind of questioned and and um Scott Gordon you know spoke to this after the last game but the idea of that third gear versus the fifth gear, and and can he get himself into that fifth gear, uh, skipping fourth gear altogether? Altogether. But uh, you know, I, th- I think with Nolan, we we've seen those moments of like, man, where where is that fire? Where's that intrinsic motivation? And in the, the case of Travis Konechny, you know, whether the points are coming or not, I I think you could take the game situation out of it, show someone film on him and feel that we're getting consistent effort. And I think between him and and even Scott Lawton, I think they've been two of the most consistent guys on the team. The points might not come, but the effort is there. Yeah, It would be nice, though, if you're a top-line wing. Right. Effort is certainly there, but the role that he's in. See, the difference between Lawton and and Konechny is 
Lawton is in a role where it's an effort role, right? Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, you notice great effort from him. And if he gets points, that's that's secondary scoring, and that's a bonus. Travis Connecting is playing on your top line. So by playing on the top line, he's expected to do more than just show effort. That's true. So that's there's a higher expectation. Fairly or unfairly, there just is. Um, and so I think that while he, he displays great effort, and, you know, he did have a good game. I think it was against Calgary when they were in. I think that's the game, if I remember correctly, that he had a real, really strong game. Um, overall, uh, I still think that, yeah, because that was the game I picked the stars, right? It was the Calgary game, and that's how I put him as my third star. Um, and, uh, uh, I still, you need more than that. You need, you need him to score points and he's just not getting them. And that's, that's, that's that's something that's missing right now for the His former locker mate, Jordan Wheel, who I, I think from my perspective, I think they had a a decent enough relationship. You know, you don't wonder if that's the thing that if it's weighing him down at all, that I, I don't know how much you really put into that kind of stuff. But uh, if somebody has been your sounding board for the for better a part of yeah. a year and a half and that person's gone, you, you don't know. And that was the thing that I, it, it seemed like people were taking me to task on uh, on Twitter about where I said, you know, you put Dale Weiss on waivers and Nolan Patrick was quoted as saying he's the best teammate he's ever had. And people were like, well, you know, don't let the fact that you interviewed him cloud your judgment. I get that. Totally get it. My contention I think has been if I'm looking at what this season is and what the season needs to be and and really the season needs to be seeing the young guys continue to take the next step forward if that means that you need to have a couple guys on the team that help keep everyone's head clear you're not winning anything this year I would much rather see some of the young guys come up from the Phantoms but if that's not going to happen then you have to keep guys who are good for the locker room for better or worse and whether fans want that to be an answer or not you know I can't control that, but what I can say is I think Weiss and his his um, importance to a guy like Nolan Patrick probably outweighs the distraction that having Yori Laterra on this team does. So, you know, people can, I guess, get upset with me because I, I've defended Weiss a little bit more uh, in recent weeks, but, I mean, that's just kind of where I'm at. Yori Laterra being on the team and, and being on the active roster and being a guy who started the last game on the, on the fourth line just... I, I can't make heads or tails of it. I can't really figure out what the the reasoning or the rationale is. I know people have have theorized maybe it, ha- it would have to do with you know if the Flyers tried to cut bait with them, could there be a lawsuit? I don't think that's where we're at with this. Um, I, I just don't know what Yori Laterra brings to the team right now. That, yeah, well, that you so, can't replace something. With anybody something's going to happen because they're playing with the with the bare minimum, right? I mean they don't yeah. they don't have. I mean Dale Weiss is the extra forward right now, right? Um, and uh, Christian Follin's the extra defenseman. Um, so with Weiss waived, Laterra's got to be in the lineup. I mean, if you're not going to play Weiss because maybe uh, there's something brewing, um, so what ends up what ends up happening? I mean, something's got to give. Um, and I, you know, I think that the Flyers are just trying to, you know, buy time before they actually have to make another roster decision. And it, it's coming. I mean, it's. I know we keep saying that, but this is. You know, when they say it's the first shoe to drop, well, the always being waved isn't the shoe dropping. It's the freaking laces being untied, right? Yeah. The, the, the shoe's well, going to come Was, was Jordan Wheel finding your other shoe <laughs> under the couch? <laughs> that was something else, I mean, right? Yeah, that was taking the gum off the bottom of, oh the, off the bottom of your soul. Hey, um, we, did get one, we did get a question. I know you threw this out, like, last minute. Um, we did get a question from a uh, uh, fan, Joe, Joe Plaza, Plaza, asks... Uh, um, do you guys think Provorov not seeing power play time Monday is a one-off thing, or could it be a long-term thing? And my response, I, I actually answered him, and then I realized, oh, he was asking because you asked, you put a 
tweet out like right before we recorded uh, asking if people had any any questions for the show um, and the answer that I gave him was it's not a one-off but it's also not a long-term thing yeah. I think it's a situation where they needed Ivan Provorov to not have the pressure of expectations in all situations they needed him to kind of refocus and and play you know the areas that they really need him to play which is five on five and penalty kill Mm -hmm. and we'll get you back on the power play once you get the rest of your game rectified Um, and I think that that's what it is so I don't I don't think it's long term but he's not like he's going to be back bouncing back in there uh you know, against Boston, um, I think it, you're probably looking at a handful of games minimum, if if, if not a little bit even a little longer. Um, but I would venture to guess that uh, before this season is out, you're going to see Ivan Provorov back on the second unit of the power play. I think it's a good place to probably wrap for today. Absolutely. Um, you know, people who have uh, been checking into the Press Row show, I mean, by the time this episode goes out, uh, we will be deep either deep into the Boston game or post-Boston game. Yeah. Um, so for fans to kind of keep an eye out for the Press Row show, we'll be back on Monday, January 28th. That's a home game against the Winnipeg Jets. Correct. The Flyers are going into a bye week, so we will be releasing a new episode of Snow the Goalie next week, but there will be no Press Row show until the 28th. Yes. Um, also, we I know we plugged it the other day, but uh, February 2nd, Anthony's going to be one of the uh, people featured on the uh, panel at the Xfinity Live event. It's going to be a, uh, a podcast roundtable. Yeah, of, the Philadelphia uh, Hockey Podcast Roundtable. How about it? Yeah. Uh, so Anthony will be there taking, I don't know, questions. I don't know what exactly is happening there. I don't know, but, what, the, uh, I don't know what the exact format is. It's probably going to be a lot of people trying to talk over each other, knowing, knowing the folks who are going to be on that podcast. I mean, you know how Meltzer is. Right? Guy just doesn't just a, shut just, up. Just, just a big mouth. <laughs> I'm saying that because Bill's sitting right next to me, and I'm giving him a hard time. But, no, Bill's great. Um, I, 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 think it's, I it, can talk it hockey be, with Bill 24-7. It should be. I don't know if he'd want to talk 24-7 <laughs> with you, though, in fairness. And, uh, <laughs> but... But uh, Charlie, it should, Charlie it be, O'Connor will be on, and, uh, and Jason Mertidis, and uh, Russ Cohen, and uh, Anthony Mingione. Am I forgetting anybody? Uh, yeah. Dave, are you doing that podcast thing on the second? Dave Isaac got a message about it. We'll Dave, see. Dave Isaac he might be might there. Be there. <laughs> might be there. I mean, uh, I, I, I think he's. Table. <laughs> I think he's. He's think he's going to be part of it. So, uh, uh, but yeah, that'll be a cool thing. Because at Xfinity it, Live. I mean, look, I, I think in a in what has been a, a down season, it's a cool event that'll be happening, and I think yeah, you know, the people that you read on a daily basis all being together, being on this panel, I think it's going to be a really cool thing. It will and be cool. From what we have been told, there is going to be at least one, maybe two guests. Guests, and those people would be very much worthwhile coming yes. out to, to hear from. Yes, so, they will. Uh, I would encourage people that if you haven't bought tickets to the game on February second, that you do that. And if for some reason you don't want to go to the game, but you want to go to Xfinity Live and yeah. go see, it'll be the, after the, the game. Thing. So it'll be about four thirty, roughly start time, and we'll go for about ninety minutes. Yeah, and so, so it, cool. it should be a really nice time. So yeah. uh, make sure you check that out. And uh, in the meantime, check out all the shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Hopefully, Anthony and Bob are going to decide to finally uh, wake up from their uh, their winter slumber it's on Crossed me. Up and cover what has been no news. There is still no news on the Bryce Harper and Manny Machado front. Hopefully, putting this out like this is going to make it outdated as both of those guys sign with the uh, Philadelphia Phillies soon. Well, now that the Eagles but, uh, are done, maybe Bob can stop worrying about all his gambling 
betting and stuff and can actually, you know, hop on the mic. He's and writing. Talk. He's gambling writing. He's not actually talk about he's not throwing money down himself. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, go yes, check out the other shows. And uh, Kevin and I just recorded a new Crossing broadcast where we did the post-mortem of the uh, Eagles Saints game and the Sixers drubbing of the Minnesota Timberwolves. So go check that out as well and uh, other shows and all that. And so uh, for Anthony, I'm Russ. We'll talk to you again next week. And then the Press Row Show again on returns on the 28th. So thanks for listening. Go leave a five-star review on uh, iTunes and subscribe and all that. Thanks, guys.